0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Graham and Lane's newest Patreon episode. Now, the audio may be slightly different than usual today, so don't be alarmed. I, uh, I'm having to use my husband's laptop to record, so I think the sound equipment is a little bit different than normal. I am so happy to be joined by the incredible Ben Rob. How are you, Ben? I'm good, Chad. Thank you for having me back. Pleasure it's to be here. So, it's so good to see you. Happy New Year. How did your, uh, how you. did your 2022 turn out? You know pretty good
1: on balance, I got to say, uh, you know, started on a new show, the show's doing well, we got a second season, we're going to work on Quantum Leap for NBC, and uh, very, uh, very much enjoying being a part of that writing staff and, and working with those actors and our crew, and it's just been a great experience overall, and I really appreciate the people who've sort of reached out and said how much they're enjoying the show, um, which means a lot, so uh,
0: yeah. I loved Quantum Leap growing up. There was something so magic. I think I had a little bit of a crush on Scott Bakula. <laughs> well, he's a handsome dude.
1: I mean, like, you know, come on. He, he He's always saving the day. Always got a good heart. Like... You know,
0: it's the be, uh, the idea of getting lost in another life—I remember being so extraordinary. Like, what would that be like? Uh, yeah. I uh, the the episode that comes out on the main show right before this one comes out is uh, going to be my my second interview with Tom Brevoort. And at the end of the show, I mentioned, oh, I'm recording with Ben soon," and Tom's like, "Oh, tell Ben hi. I'm I missing. He's great. I love Quantum Leap, So uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was happy to relay that message back to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom Tom, goes way back to my beginnings at Marvel, you know, so he's, he's a good dude and uh, I'm glad to see that he has sort of risen to the, the position he's in because it's, a, you know, he's one of those people that he's a lifer, you know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah, totally yeah. deserved it. I mean, it is, uh, it is just the highest honor for me to have people like yourself and Tom willing to come on and chat with me. It just, it's, uh, it's an extra. We're all
1: fans, come on, you know, we're we're all the same people.
0: I mean, I, uh, Tom was my former boss too, if you remember, I worked on the handbook. Yeah. So when I first had him on the show, I'm like, oh, we worked together all those years and I haven't ever met you. <laughs> uh, so the purpose of this channel, uh, as I've reviewed with my guests, uh, uh, is we're covering characters that don't get a lot of spotlight. Uh, we're kind of looking into the areas of the Marvel Universe that are fondly remembered. And this is such a wild time for X-Men fans, I know. Uh, with all the Krakoa stuff, there's all this renewed interest in the whole history of the X-Men franchise. Uh, so I, I don't know if you have listened to, like, Connor Goldsmith's Cerebro or uh, Jan Miles explain the X-Men. The Crimson Dawn, if you are in the podcast community, has come up multiple times. So it is uh, it is such an honor to be able to sit down with someone who worked on the original story. I, uh, I got to review all of the issues in advance. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> there's... <laughs> There's like a lot of depth, but also it's kind of just cast aside. Uh, tell me a little bit about when when I first suggested the Crimson Dawn to you. Where did your mind go?
1: Um, I, you know, it, it's funny. Like I I have I have good memories of working on it because I got to work with Salvador Roca, who did such an amazing job. I actually have one of the the, the double page spread of uh Kuragari holding Psylocke prisoner. Uh, I, I actually have that original piece of art and framed and and it was, it was hanging on the wall for a while. It isn't right now, but you know, I, I rotate things around, but um, you know, it was just, it was fun to sort of play in a slightly different corner of the X universe. Uh, one that perhaps maybe wasn't fully fleshed out at the time, but was, you know, it, it was certainly an attempt to do that. And it was certainly an attempt to tell like a really character, Driven story based on where Psylocke and, Ar- and Archangel were in their in their journey at that point. Um, yeah. So, so when you know when you asked, I was like, "That's really cool that you guys are you know still thinking about it all these years later." My next thought was, "I don't remember half of it." <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> being full disclosure,
0: the Crimson Dawn kind of had three big story arcs that were used. This is an era of the X Men late '90s. There was a lot of like anime influence in the art. Yes. The, the line had really expanded. Scott labdell had some of the major reigns of the books, I know. Uh, did you work with Scott much? Do you, uh, oh, yeah. No, no. I
1: mean, the, the entirety of my time in the X office Scott was was the uncanny writer. Um, so uh, I was there for that story. And and when Joe Matarrera was turning in pages. And it, it's funny because, yes, to the anime influence of it all. Like, it. W- I mean, I won't speak for Joe, but I'm fairly certain things like Ninja Scroll had a huge impact on what he and scott wanted to do with that storyline you know it was like how do we bring that into the x-men world and do something fun like that um you know i was watching a lot of anime at the time because of joe matterer you know his his uh interest in 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 that i mean you know, obviously I, I watched some as a kid it was always the imported on american television versions it wasn't like stuff straight from japan um and joe kind of I me in the direction of a bunch of things and so when uh you know those guys wanted to do a story about something uh, you know a mystical and not quite mutanty you know um i think you know we were all like oh that sounds really cool because you know we were it was just we were just into it at the time
0: yeah yeah this was kind of an era in the x-men books where things stopped being like one creative team on a title and instead, for me at least, it started to feel like there were seasons of things. Mm-hmm. You'd get like a season of a particular writer and artist combined on a title, and then it would switch to something else. We have seasons of X-Force, seasons of Excalibur, seasons of, of X-Factor. Uh, and there were, there were kind of a lot of talent moving in and out. You'd see a storyline kind of complete and then a new creative team or new, new uh, direction would kick in. After a while, they started using that and then just renumbering everything with number one every time a new person would happen. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're at now. But this was a fun time. This is when the X-Men animated series was on. Uh, 1996 is when the Crimson Dawn started. I was a junior in high school. Uh, things were not going well at home. And I've told this story on the show before, but I went to my local comic shop in Idaho Falls, Idaho and said, I need comic books to survive, but I can't afford them. And they hired me to work there, but paid me in comic books. So this, nice. <laughs> this was like the Phalanx Covenant, like onslaught era. Like yeah. all my friends would come hang out at the shop with me. Like I, I, I was a huge fan at the time. There was a, a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, where were you in 1996, Ben?
1: Well, in 1996, I was at the tail end of my time in the ex office. Like I started there in January of 94 is when I became Bob Harris's assistant editor. And so I was there for Phalanx Covenant. I was there for Age of Apocalypse. I was there for most of Onslaught. And then uh, midway through 96, I shifted to uh, Marvel's interactive department. I became the first online editor when, when they made their big deal with AOL and were trying to get into the online world. And and it was at a time where I was also starting to write comics, you know, freelance for Marvel. And I was like, you know, I was working 20-hour days. I was like, do I really want to work on this internet stuff? I mean, is this even going to be a thing? Well, so I bailed from the internet and, and stayed with writing, uh, which ultimately worked out for the better. Um,
0: and this was, on the, this was a crazy time for just America. AOL yes. and, like, yes. chat rooms and email. Yes. Uh, instead of writing fan letters to Marvel, you're suddenly writing letters to Kurt Busiek online, That's and correct. he might respond, and it was a crazy. Right. People are forming online communities for the first time.
1: Yeah, exactly, and 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 the comics community especially. So it's like, uh, you know, um, I I, I was at the, I was at the end of one journey, the beginning of another when these kinds of things were happening. And yes, we did have multiple writers. You know, we had Scott and Fabian on Uncanny and an adjectiveless X Men. We eventually had Mark Wade came in after Fabian. You know, was off the book. Uh, I mean, Larry Hama was doing Wolverine. I mean, you know, the days of 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 Chris Claremont doing. All, all the X-related books was over, right? This was this was post his departure from, from X-Men. And, it's now a uh, whole
0: franchise, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so how do you service that? You can't just service that with one writer. We would have, you know, semi-annual or, I, don't know was, I can't remember what the frequency was, but whenever we were going to do a big storyline, we'd have a big writer's retreat. You know, the editors would go, Bob and Scott and Fabian and whoever we would sort of have a plan and, and sort of say, okay, here's, here's the season we're going to do. Here's the, you know, I wouldn't say the event. This was sort of kind of the, the, you know, the nascent stage of event uh, publishing programming, I think. Um, but certainly from the X office, which was driving a lot of Marvel's, you know, revenue at the time, there was an expectation. What's, what's bigger, what's better, what's next. And, and so uh, There's also toys were a component. I mean, Toy Biz was was in the mix around the mid nineties. And so I'm fairly certain part of the, you know, conceit of, well, let's create these different sort of corners of the X universe. It's like, oh, what can we we leverage into action figures? What can we turn into, you know, storylines in the cartoon? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of, there was a drive to create new and different and, and outside the box because there might be a market for it in other fields
0: and it was event after event after event i remember uh again i worked in the comic shop so i'd get the swag there was like a roll of when onslaught happened there was like a roll of like caution tape stickers that came out that was like onslaught here and it, i had a whole role i would like go to school and like slap them on my friend's lockers and folders there's like onslaught stickers everywhere <laughs> what the hell is this tolerance hit i was like handing out posters (laughs) like because there's just all this extra shit at the store that i would take home and like this was this was a fun time now when you came on my show we talked to you a lot about your excalibur run and Mm -hmm. some of the great stuff you did and some of the stories we're going to cover happened during that um let me intro to the crimson dawn really quickly and if you have any memories about how this story happened or what those editors retreats were like i would love to hear Mm -hmm. your thoughts So Uncanny X-Men 328, I'm going to fast forward through a whole bunch of continuity. Sabretooth is living at the X-Men mansion. They're trying to tame him as not going well. And he ends up slashing into Psylocke, like gutting her. It's gorgeous Joe Madureira art. The next issue 329, Wolverine and Archangel go to, quote, Aunt Susie chose Chow and Chop shop, end quote where there's, uh, there's some kind of mysticism happening. We meet a character named Gomer the Ancient, G-O-M-U-R-R, who's like a little Yoda guy. He's like a little cute old man, but he's dangerous, and he can kick your ass if he tries, but he, like, speaks funny. Wolverine says, uh, Gomer, me and Worthington, and this is when Archangel's in his blue skin, blonde hair era, <laughs> which is my favorite look for him in some ways because I grew up with it. Uh, me and Worthington have come for. He basically says he wants, we need. They need a pint of Crimson Dawn from the Ebon Vein, and he uh, Gomer warns, "Madness! He who seeks the Crimson Dawn finds only death." And uh, then he joins them in 3:30. They put on ninja robes. Doctor Strange comes in with an astral form. They fight something called Undercloaks, who are these like shadow warriors that live in the Crimson Dawn. So you're getting the idea that the Crimson Dawn is like a realm that exists, kind of transient to our own you can enter it sort of like the astral plane or the the i don't know the wild ways marvel has all kinds of these like slightly tangential dimensions and the psylocke's gonna die because this is pre-mutant resurrection unless they can retrieve something called the crimson dawn from this realm and they fight some guys and they they meet the proctor of the crimson dawn uh we'll talk more about what being proctor means it's a guy named Tar, T-A-R, which is not a uh-huh. great name. <laughs> so he's his skin is like dark black, and he has the bushiest eyebrows you've ever seen. Like Professor X would completely be jealous. And uh, he's sitting on this throne. It's all obsidian and blue. And it, it, you, you learn that like Tar and Gomer had some sort of history back when Gomer was not Gomer the ancient, but Gomer the impetuous. And uh, Gomer kneels before Tar and says, we worthless creatures of mud and bone, petition your ancient generosity for a boon, a single cup of the life essence, which flows through the earth. And uh, there's a battle and there's some spells and things get a little crazy. (laughs) And essentially what kind of ends up happening is they take this Crimson Dawn essence back to Psylocke, just kind of summing up a lot of stuff beast is barely keeping her alive and uh they have to kind of channel it through warren because he loves betsy and there's a part of his soul that will be there betsy ends up like washed in crimson light and it leaves her with a single like red dagger tattoo over one eye as a result and then the story changes and we don't see her for a while so uh, kind of summing up a lot quickly uh but what are your thoughts on what the crimson dawn is or how it came to be
1: uh like i said that was a scott and joe jam uh it was very much uh, i mean like you look at proctor tar proctor Tar looks straight out of dragon ball uh the i mean i the, haven't
0: thought about it but yes
1: i mean the, you know the 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 influence was, was very much worn on its sleeve which is fine and it's cool i mean like who cares like we're having fun here and and we wanted to do something different um what exactly the crimson dawn is i mean yeah, maybe it's a place, maybe it's a thing, maybe it's I, I, I don't know. And in, in in you know reviewing my, even my own work, I'm like, ah, did you know what you were doing? I'm not so sure you did. Um, but that's okay. Uh, because I think at, at the end of the day, I think what was sort of driving, like all of that was basically a vehicle for something, right? It was a vehicle for a character story. As as we often did in the X Men office, it was like, this is a soap opera. How, how are we going to tell stories that people are going to care about the relationships and the dynamics between these characters? And something that you know, Psylocke and Archangel had this sort of rom- romantic bond. We wanted to tell a story that was about their love. We wanted to tell a story that you know was about her dealing with you know this this horrible thing that happened to her, right? And and like being able to bring her you know to save her life is something that you know it's very heroic, very romantic. Um, but then. Something that could have consequences, right? That's sort of like a fun trope to play when you, you know, when you resort to something mystical to save a life. Well, you know, it's a very monkey's paw of it. Like something bad could come back. And, and kind of, this story, that storyline in, in Uncanny kind of opened the door to say, all right, we've done something, we got what we were after, but what are the consequences of that action going to be? And that's kind of where we, when editor Matt Idelson and I were talking about the, the Crimson Dawn miniseries, it was like, okay that's the leaping off point is what are the consequences?
0: And, Back in yeah. 97, I remember following a few groups online. Again, this is early internet and there was already X-Men forums forming. And there was one I followed that was called like X-Men Unresolved. And there was a list of plot lines that had been introduced and never, uh, never had resolution. And I remember the Crimson Dawn being added to that because there was this warning of these, like, dire consequences, but then it just Always. didn't happen for a long time, and you were Probably. the one that had to clean that up, obviously. Yeah, uh,
1: to, to, to such a degree as I did. <laughs> Maybe I made it a little mess I don't know. <laughs> it's fine.
0: I mean, it's there. It's a place for people to go. Marvel has all these different realms, some of which are extraordinarily uh, mapped out, like Limbo or the Dark Dimension, and others that... Are really kind of forgotten. Uh, a weird one that comes to mind is the Hill Dimension from the Storm Limited series, which nobody mm-hmm. who has not read that series in, in the last so year would even. Ter- Terry remember.
1: Dodson did that, right? That was the uh, art. Uh, I actually it don't was... even
0: remember. I'd have to go back and look. It's the uh, yeah. rasputin Rasputin and the Morlocks, and they live in another dimension called the Hill. That's uh that's what comes to mind right now. Mm-hmm. But I'd have to go back and read it again. uh so psylocke now has this like dagger and she has the ability to melt into shadow we learn shortly after and she uses it a whole bunch uh brings the uh the undercloaks back in 97 in x-men volume 261 and uh there starts to be hints now that the crimson dawn expects something in return from psylocke uh and like gomer shows up and uh, he describes here the Crimson Dawn as, quote, the essence of life which roars through the veins of the world. So, again, mystic connection to the modern Earth. There's a bunch of these. This is the kind of shit that Doctor Strange will draw upon, like, to make his spells <laughs> right. work. And then uh, early 1997 is when you took over this story with Salaraka in your Excalibur run. You, you have right. four issues, Excalibur 107 through 110, uh, Captain and Britain and Megan are are kind of flirting around, and you invent the dragons of the Crimson Dawn. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about where you inheriting this story came from, and what you wanted to do with it, and then let's talk about the dragons a little
1: bit. I, listen, I, I I wouldn't know if it's an inheritance so much. as I, I'm pretty sure I pitched to Matt. Like, I'd like to pick it up. You know, it's a thread that we could. You know, I I I always liked it when I worked in the X office, and I was like, well. <laughs> I didn't know that it was on a list of unresolved plot lines, but certainly I was aware that it was an unresolved plot line and that it was something that I could, you know, because of, you know, Brian and Betsy's brother and sister relationship, it felt like, oh, that's a good opportunity to sort of have something that ties to the X-Men directly, but, you know, allows it to still be unique to our book. Um, you know, the, the, the Braddock siblings being somewhat somewhere between the realm of mutant and mystical like you know just just in their in their in their marvel uk origins um it felt like okay let's let's play with that a little bit the idea that you know captain britain's power is tied to the land you know of england and and that you know i believe it was a plot point at one point that if he left england he wasn't quite as powerful so Yeah, yeah yeah so so it was like okay that i can i can run with that and you know what if? What if that happens? Right? Like a great story. Like these these beings show up. They kidnap and take him someplace else where they will. They want the power that he has, but in order to get it, they need to sort of weaken him, and so they bring him to to Hong Kong. Um, the dragons came about because I just wanted to create some cool fucking characters. <laughs> Excuse my language, um, but also oh, also we're right here, It's fine. Okay. All right. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, but also, um, you know, like if we've learned nothing from the Silver Surfer Galactus story, it's that the herald of someone more powerful makes that person more you know a powerful herald makes a, a powerful villain even more powerful um so i wanted to play that and again totally totally ripping off ninja scroll <laughs> like where all these characters showed up you know coming for Jubei. you know like it, it was it was just totally stolen from that i <laughs> fully admit it um
0: I uh I will sometimes in my brain, I I don't, I don't know if you follow drag culture at all, but I'll create drag names in my head off off, off the top of my head. And yeah. I want to write an in Marvel Universe story where there's a drag king, which is a woman dressing as a man, who calls mm-hmm. herself the herald of Galactus, except it's H A R O L D and she's <laughs> some accountant singing on stage. That's amazing. <laughs> I know someday, uh, someday I'll write these stories.
1: Let's then get that pitch together.
0: That's a great, I mean, it's a great this, story like, a, to happen. this would be like a bit moment in the background, but it would be amazing. <laughs> if, if
1: they were still doing Assistant Editor's Month, you know that would have been a story. <laughs>
0: uh, so the, the Dragons of the Crimson Dawn, designed by Salaraka. I, I don't know how much of the visuals you came up with versus him. Uh, they're great <laughs> characters. The art really pops off the page. It's beautiful. Tell, tell me about yeah. that, how, these, how the design came to be.
1: I, I might have... I, I, I'm pretty sure Barack's the one that was like a, a multi-limbed character. The, the other two, I don't remember describing visually, but, um, you know, just the, the, the power sets that they had were were something that I, you know, I, I, I came up with um, and pitched out to him. Uh, and he just, yeah, he ran with it and made it awesome. I mean, it was it was really cool. Like, he even did a, a piece of promo artwork. Um, I don't know if it ever got used or if it ever, I think, I, I know it saw print somewhere. I can't remember. Maybe it was just sort of like a, an extra page in one of the Excalibur issues. Um, but he, he did a piece as a promo for this storyline. And I think that that might've helped get us the green light to do a four issue mini. Um, you know, Matt Idelson could confirm or deny that. Uh, but I, I remember us getting a piece of art done and sort of hype people up about it. And, you know, again, this was, this was the era of more X product, more X product. So yeah, yeah, yeah. any attempt to do that.
0: Time travel here, Crimson Dawn over there. Like, (laughs) just throw it all out of yeah, absolutely, totally. So the three, the three dragons. One of them is Barak. Uh, he's the big guy, six arms, covered in tattoos, uh, flowers on his back. He's got a white mask with the Crimson Dawn tattoo on it. Dark brown skin, ponytail. He can grow to like double the size and like manifest massive energy scimitars and shruken. I mean, just what else can we throw at him? He's amazing. It's a really cool power set, actually. He's
1: the Swiss Army monster, that's for sure. (laughs)
0: Uh, How do you say the names of the other two?
1: Uh, Ayn and Ra'al, which are actually all Hebrew words. Um, uh, Barak is lightning, uh, Ayn is eye, and Ra'al is poison. Um, Okay, okay. So, again, I was throwing a lot of shit against the wall to see what stuck, and uh, granted, these were more uh you know asian inspired but i threw in a little bit of middle east um just to sort of keep it a little weird and varied and yeah. um you know some some people took issue with that they're like they got they got man this doesn't make any sense it's all it's, it's all just we're all making this up <laughs> um, so
0: i, I in is the the female emerald yeah. skin uh white costume again crimson don tattoo and it's I, her power set from what i could determine was the ability to fly on a mystical cloud was and, there
1: more to her than that? I think
0: so. No, no.
1: Raul is the poison dude.
0: Raul, Raoul, uh, Raul's the guy yeah. with the stark white skin. He's got the skull tattoos. Uh, again, crimson dot tattoo. Yeah. Uh, he wears like the, a big old black necklace, ponytail, and his power was to vomit up black corrosive bile. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So then, was I think didn't Ian have the psychic surgery power? I think that was her
0: thing. Oh sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. She had, uh, she had the telepathic ability. Yes, yeah. uh, so it's you know, covering were... all, all the range that of powers that super beings have, right? <laughs> yeah, they were cool though. I liked these characters when they came out as a teen, and revisiting them like it stood up. It's a it's a good story. Tell me who the dragons of the Crimson Dawn are. I mean, they were they were, you know, them
1: and this this other guy, uh, Shandu, were characters that basically sought power like this was when i think if I remember the history of it correctly it was like the the chinese were fighting the mongols and and they were trying to sort of like the the empire had fallen and they were trying to protect it and so they sought the mystical power of the crimson dawn in order to do good only to then be corrupted by it right they killed they killed their friend shandu They, they they you know they basically embraced the dark side while he tried to hold on to the light and uh and were then sort of cursed by it. But, you know, t- having been transformed and twisted into being evil beings, were now basically doing whatever they wanted. You know, like they, they finally were free of their prison and they were coming back and they were gonna, you know, take over. And again, heralds to another yeah. character, you know?
0: Harold, good old Harold.
1: Harold, <laughs> they, they were heralds to another character.
0: They, uh, so the, the, the vibe I got is they've been trapped in the Crimson Dawn and now because Psylocke yes. has drunk of the Crimson Dawn, it's opened this passage to Earth. And they have now yes. seen Captain Britain as a potential power source that will allow yes. them to uh, complete their kind of revenge mission. Yeah, and,
1: and it's weird. I mean, it, it kind of makes no sense that they would, we were trapped in this place and they were going to try to superimpose it onto this tree. I mean, again, a lot of stuff against the wall, a lot of seeing what's
0: going to stick. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Doctor Strange mysticism in all this, though. Like everything is very carefully balanced. You shift the energy in one direction, and then it can overwhelm the earth. I mean, that part makes sense to me. Right.
1: right. No, it it's it, the internal logic of that kind of stuff is isn't in, in in looking at it again all these years later with fresh eyes. If that doesn't bump me, what bumps me is the notion that these beings felt trapped in a place, and we're like, we're going to use this newfound power to to bring that place together. Like, get out of that place. <laughs> Don't go back. Go away. Like you know, enjoy the twentieth century as it is. Like, you
0: know. But supervillains are not always known for their no. logical thoughts. Uh, no, very, they're very
1: emotional. Very emotional.
0: <laughs> very histrionic, very narcissistic, yes. very yes. angry uh so they they land in piccadilly circus the dragons do and all of them are yelling i'm going to read their speech out loud here they, they <laughs> no do play.
1: not read their speech out loud i do not want my words read back to me i, re- I reread <laughs> them i heard them in my head i would not have written that way
0: I, them. that i uh i'm still gonna do it for the benefit of our <laughs> listeners <laughs> but you can you can plug your ears if you want <laughs> all right i always love when uh like you got three super villains but they're all best friends and they like each take one part of the speech like yes it's like they pre-rehearsed <laughs> it
1: well they know they're like all right so before we go in i'm gonna say this you say that and then you say that okay yes.
0: and, and they're like, they like practiced it they're like god damn it <laughs> Ian, you messed it up again <laughs> don't know your role don't know your lines uh, i'm just gonna use my voice i'm not gonna try to do a character voice here but the Thank speech you. is as the following our sleep of ages is at last over and now that we are free of our otherworldly prison this mortal coil is once more ours for the taking for the dragons of the crimson dawn have returned And then uh, continues, Rejoice, Brian Braddock, excuse me, you gaze upon your glorious destiny. After centuries upon centuries of tedious anticipation, we, the dragons of the Crimson Dawn, have returned to conquer our birth world once more. Not only shall the ancient ways reign supreme over this realm, but you shall be the instrument of its destruction. So uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. They grab Brian and uh, they're they're fighting off Megan and Spiral is there uh, and I love Spiral but I couldn't figure out why she showed up it, it kind of seemed to be behind the scenes that somehow she got infected with the Crimson Dawn as well uh, what was what was Spiral doing here I love her by the way she's one of my favorites yeah
1: characters with lots of arms always super cool um <laughs> uh, if I can remember correctly at that point she had been freed from Mojo and sort of was kind of off on her own. So like, I think we hadn't seen her in a while and it was sort of a, well, hey, hey, here's a really cool character who kind of plays in the world of dimension hopping. That would make sense. What, you know, I think my thought process was what if in hopping dimension, she ended up in this one, things didn't quite go her way. She ended up getting, you know, subdued and, and, and infected with the Crimson Dawn and now was forced to serve it but was always looking for a way out and and saw Captain Britain as a way to sort of give them, like she was basically, you know, she's a character that you can't trust. You don't know whose side she's really on. She's always working her own angles. And was she doing it? She's, you know, claimed to be trying to help Captain Britain and, and Excalibur, but at the same time she brought them there, dragons there. So I wanted to tell, her part in the story as someone who you weren't sure whose side she was really on, that you always knew that she was an opportunist who was going to screw over whoever was going to benefit her the most, right? And so if Captain Britain wins, great, she, he destroys them. Again, we never put this to, to words, and maybe that's it's a failing of mine as a writer is that I never clearly articulated it, but the intent was if if I, I'll bring them to him, they're looking for power he's power he can pretend he and his you know his friends in excalibur can potentially beat these guys which will then free me from from you know the crimson dawn e- you know either way i'm coming out on top right well and
0: there's this giant toy box of characters and i love that you get to bring her into this and this is a mm-hmm. classic example of the fantastic four now have to work with dr doom in order to defeat mm-hmm. you know blastar or whoever the fuck Mm -hmm. but the the excalibur team has to work with spiral because they're in over their heads and she's the one that has this connection and the ability i never quite understood what her motivation or connection was but i like that too because i like a good mystery uh we'll give a lot of airtime to spiral on my podcast in the future we're still working our way up we're almost to 1970 by the
1: way oh wow so yeah what is she what is your number you up to
0: uh you know we just recorded uh well we're coming up on x-men 66 so the end of the end of. okay uh i just recorded with tom brevoort but it was uh, a side issue so the last one i did was century x-men number one which is great because we're working on all the modern continuity that's set in the 60s stuff oh cool Uh, yeah yeah it's fun so that's what's taking so long we're we're Mm -hmm. we're getting there (laughs) listen you, you there's no
1: dearth of material
0: i am not in a hurry i'm just having a good time as we go and doing my research along the way okay so spiral takes the uh the excalibur team to and there's this is a wild team uh do you want to talk about the composition of the excalibur team at this time there was a (laughs)
1: right so we had we had obviously you know our our central three kitty night and colossus we had wolf spain we had doug lock who is uh,
0: sniper and warlock mixed together?
1: Yeah, I know we talked about Doug Locke when uh, I was on your last show. Yeah, yeah. I hate uh, that movie,
0: but I like the character.
1: <laughs> no, again, cool character, great concept. Again, makes a lot of sense for the fact that they were best buddies. Like it just—it was a really yeah, cool end result for that, but just a terrible name. Um, and then uh, we got Moira McTaggart, who was legacy of heart's infected human at the time. Which, by the way, I. I the, the, the little moments that I reread of that, like, it's it's a pretty poignant story where it's like she's alone in the world. Like, she, of all the human beings on Earth, this disease that, that affects only mutants, she has, has contracted, and, and it's like, doesn't know what to do about it, and she's this brilliant woman. I thought it was, a, was like, oh, that's shockingly poignant.
0: It's great, and by the way, I'm gonna interrupt. The modern context, you now know that Moira is a mutant who's been keeping all these secrets for all these years. When you go back yes. and see her chronology... And you look at this like hidden motivation during your run as she knows she's a mutant, but she's lying to everybody, but acting like the tragic figure. And it actually turns out she's kind of a supervillain based on the modern stories. It's like, ooh, like there's a there's subtext there that you didn't intend. Sort of like Iceman being gay in the 60s. They didn't Mm -hmm. mean for it to happen, but it's there. That's amazing. (laughs)
1: Right, right. Yeah, but with her, it's like I remember you guys telling me about this last time I was on. It's like she's terrible. She's the worst.
0: Yeah, yeah. he's a, a really bad villain. Uh, yeah. You also had a Colossus on the team at the time. Yes,
1: yes, the Colossus, yep. Uh, like I said, the the other main three, which, again, childhood X-Men fan, being able to write three of my favorite characters was the best. We had Pete Wisdom, so Kitty was still in that relationship for a little bit on my run. Um, I don't know what's, what's her thing with guys named Peter?
0: There's been like five of them. It's great. There's more. Oh my gosh. She dated Star Lord. They were engaged. Uh, I think she's been on a date with Spider Man, who's also a Peter. Good Lord. Yeah, she has a type. It's so weird. And then Um, she dated Bobby, and he came out, and it didn't end well. (laughs) Well, it worked out for him. Yeah, yeah, he's doing just fine. He's all over the place. Uh, Luciano Vecchio just did a series online on Marvel Unlimited with Iceman and during this like four issues Iceman makes out with like six different guys and like wakes up in bed with two of them you're like go Bobby like you're really getting around (laughs) making up
1: for lost time
0: yeah that's kind of a thing in the gay community actually when you have waited to come out then suddenly it's uh it's room frigga for all bets are off (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so going back to the dragons, uh, dragons, I'm going to read one section. Sorry, I'm going to do it again. Read one section of their speech, which gives context to their motivation. So they've got Captain Britain. uh, They say, once we have combined the fair-headed Britain's ancient magics with the modern sorcery of this century's technology, Not only will the Crimson Dawn break across the face of the earth, but the children of the Middle Kingdom shall bow before us and the world shall call us master. And so you get this idea that they are now ready to be out of their imprisonment. They want to conquer the earth and become the new leaders of the Crimson Dawn and make it more powerful. Uh, The Crimson Dawn, again, being some sort of vein of magic energy, but it's also a realm.
1: It's just, it's a state of mind, (laughs) y'all. Here's a dog. We're all feeling it at some time. We all got it in us. <laughs>
0: uh, again, starting her psychic surgery, uh, someone vomits on Captain America, and there's the sound effect splorch, which is amazing. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> and then uh, and then, Spiral teleports Excalibur to, uh, to land there. And this is where you referenced this guy, Jandu, if I'm saying the name correctly, this is where he reveals their origins, like where they came from. They had seized this ancient power centuries ago. Uh, they were corrupted by it and then they became the dragons. I mean, that's summing it up in just a couple of words.
1: But and that is that is the long and the short of it. I mean, that is, that is exactly what happened. And, you know, this was one of those stories about power corrupts, you know, absolutely... And, well, and but Eastern you Nation. tied
0: it into history too, and it's good narration. You got you tied them to the Ming Dynasty, to to Li Shu Li Xu Cheng, if I'm saying my my uh, I've learned about myself that I tend to butcher Asian names the most. I have to like really practice them. So I didn't listen to like pronunciation guides mm. in advance. So my apologies if I butchered any names here. Uh, but yeah, Excalibur, I mean, uh, Excalibur wins. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: Or no, I'm just saying, like I, I I always like to when possible bring a little bit of real history or as close to real history as i can get sometimes um and 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 it just makes it more epic in scope like i mean you remember the black knight exodus thing i did like always trying to find ways to sort of marry adventure with history because i'm just always fascinated by it and uh you know and and in this case it was you know again, hopefully i got the history right i don't know uh But um, I mean, it's Marvel's version of the
0: history, right? That's right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Do you know Do you know Kieran Gillen at all? Not personally. Kieran's a great guy. Uh, In Immortal X Men, which is the book being put out about the the government of mutants running Krakoa, basically, he recently did a a very strong feature about Exodus and tied his origins and flashbacks very tightly to your Black Knight one shot. Oh. so look it up if you haven't. I think it's number five of Immortal X-Men. It, it's got Exodus on the cover, so you can't miss it. But it it reinterprets this character for a new generation in a really cool. brilliant way and ties in your story very strongly. So check it out I'm if you haven't, it's great. I'm glad
1: something I did had any uh, lasting resonance.
0: God, he's so smart. He just put out uh, uh, number 10 of Immortal X-Men, which is the focus on Charles Xavier. And I hate Professor X, but this issue made me love him. Uh, he ties in the history and just like it's it's brilliant i i cool i like called my husband in the room i'm like read this issue and I (laughs) he he doesn't like comics okay so the dragons are defeated they melt back into the crimson dawn and then this is an era of comics where every popular character was getting a limited series there was a storm and a gambit and a wolverine oh i mean wolverine had everything all the time uh, uh rogue had a series mm-hmm. uh psylocke and archangel got one uh and uh how did this series come to be did you pitch this was it offered to you
1: no i think it, it it was something that we we pitched as a we we set up this story here we want to continue it you know would you be open to that like that was basically the the, the gist of it i mean and again because it was a time where everybody was getting their their you know miniseries I think that's why it went through.
0: I was going to say, were you planning on doing it in the Excalibur run, or did you I want mean, to do this extra?
1: Maybe, I mean, look, extra is always better when you're when you're a freelance writer and, you know, two books instead of just one. Um, I mean, yeah, we could have saved it for a story down the road, but it felt like in the context of Excalibur, that story was over, right? It had lasting consequences for Captain Britain, you know, power's gone, now just a guy, who am I going to be? um all steps along the road to 125 and the wedding of you know brian and megan so like there was no reason to revisit crimson dawn in the context of excalibur excalibur was going off in its own direction um so uh and i think at that time we were gonna have was that we're gonna have the change in artists uh it might have been um, we were talking to John Cassidy to to do the art for Excalibur and in the wake of Salvador La Roca I think that's what I can't I'm pretty sure it was before Sal or after Salvador La Roca
0: this is all John 25 Laroca. years ago I could yeah I like, know it's it's
1: so long ago but like um yeah I don't know suffice to say we I I we weren't going to do more Crimson Dawn stuff so it was like okay Here's a story that we, you know, we kind of set up and we now have a a slightly more defined version of what the thing is. You know, it it was starting to focus in a little on something. And because of the Brian Braddock connection, it it was like, well, okay, now how do we bring it back to Betsy? Who is who was they've both been affected by it. Um,
0: So. Yeah. What was your working relationship with Salaraca Lake?
1: I mean, uh, he was in Spain. So everything, would, you know, any communication was by usually by email or through Matt Idelson. So I didn't have a lot of direct connection with him. Um, you know, I'd met him a few times when he'd been to the office. And, uh, you know, lovely man, great guy to work with. Um, super talented artist. A talent. Yeah, he's
0: amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, uh, and so, like I said, it was either me emailing him or contacting him through through Matt Idelson and and our editorial office. Um, And then I forget what was the decision to leave. I don't know if it's, you know, after Crimson Dawn, he moved on to something else. Well, he was part of Heroes Reborn, wasn't he?
0: I do believe he was a huge part of Heroes Reborn. Yeah, so I think that might have been... been. those particular issues in a long time.
1: Right, but I I do believe that was happening sort of around the same time, 96, 97, right? And so probably... leaving maybe i'm guessing i'm speculating i could be wrong leaving excalibur finishing crimson dawn and then going off to do iron man right i think that's what he did in here
0: i'd have to go back and do a study i uh i love salaraka but i don't know the yeah. order of things by any means heroes were born uh it, it was of course the culmination of the onslaught story where all the heroes disappeared and then they came back i mean that's all we need to say So Psylocke and Archangel, it's Crimson Dawn 1 through 4, you bring Gomer and Tar back, Uh, Psylocke is there, you bring a new villain in uh, named Kurigari. let's start there, tell us about Kurigari.
1: Originally his name was, uh, the original pitch for the character was Obsidian, obviously because of his appearance, Um, a little on the nose, but uh, because DC has that character, Obsidian, we... I mean, God forbid a, a, a non-proper noun be used for two completely different characters, the two completely different publishing lines, but whatever, it's all good. Uh, actually, like, Kuragari is a name better, which uh, means darkness. And and so he is, it's a Japanese word for darkness. Um, so he was our big villain. And and if I remember correctly, basically, is a dude looking for love. That's all he was.
0: Aren't we all? That's it.
1: So much darkness in him, all he wants is love.
0: Especially newly out gay men, aren't they all looking for them? <laughs> um, so Proctor Tar comes to Earth. He's looking for Gomer. Kuragari attacks. He's Eben Black at this huge blade, uh, and he's wielding the energies of the Crimson Dawn. Uh, Gomer and Tar themselves. I know that they were they were these characters created for the Crimson Dawn basically. Uh, what was your take on these characters or their relationship? They seem very Star Wars inspired to me. For sure. It's Yoda, um, and, it's Yoda and Obi-Wan, in other words, uh, that's how I read them.
1: Yeah, basically. Um, but if I remember correctly, like, like the Tar was, they didn't go or become the Proctor by the end of the miniseries. It seemed to, like, it, it was like sort of a mantle that got passed
0: yeah, Tar gets killed, and Gomer becomes the new Proctor. Right. So.
1: Yeah. So. So. It, you know, I. I'm fairly certain what I was going for was was. think I love passing up mantle stories, and and Gomer, who's a guy who, you know, didn't want to be Proctor, suddenly had this this role thrust upon him, and I sort of had to rise up and, and and you know fill the shoes of someone else that he respected and and and, and knew. Um, I think right. that right, that is kind of the, the argument. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and where the dragons wanted to get revenge and conquer yeah. Earth, it seems like Kurigari wants to expand his influence. He wants to take over the Crimson Dawn and then, like, attack others. Uh, and he's taken command of some of the Undercloaks, who are these, like, shadow ninjas. Right. And he sends a ring to Earth for Psylocke. And if she wears the ring, he can kind of control her mind or, like, release her dark side is kind of the way I took it. Do you have uh, insights on on how he was able to control her? Uh,
1: the, the the how I would I would not say I, I mean the, the the actual logistics of how it works I I barely remember that but I do I do remember that idea that I wanted to I wanted to dig into the consequences of Psylocke having been saved and right like by by the Crimson Dawn and that that you know it, it it kind of put a darkness in inside her not dark Phoenix darkness but just a, a different kind that. Yeah. That, that ultimately, this person saw as something that they could use and manipulate to their own ends. And she would have to resist that. She would have to sort of find her way back to herself and get past the darkness in order to sort of survive and, and triumph in the end.
0: Not only are there many other realms attached to Earth with uh, an evil overlord and cosmic energy or whatever, uh, there's another Crimson one. We got to tie the Crimson Dawn as, as a neighboring realm to the Crimson Cosmos, which is where Sidorak rules and gives Juggernaut his powers, but not the same Crimson place.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I do, I do believe somewhere in the early discussions about it that had, had, Gotten Joe gone further with that story, we might have drawn that connection. Like it was, it was. I don't think it was just a coincidence that, that the names were somewhat similar.
0: I've always waited for a writer to tie the two, but if you're on a roadmap driving to the Crimson Dawn, it's just east of the Crimson Cosmos and just west of the purple dimension. I'm pretty sure it's
1: exit 25. <laughs>
0: it's, and you might have, it's
1: a little bit of a jog, you're gonna have to take a
0: left here, you know, it's like, but yeah. An <laughs> or you could just jump into the uh the nexus of all realities and man things swamp and land there, perhaps. <laughs> that's right, that's true. You might i mean, and if you got spiral there to take you, even Absolutely. That... <laughs> yeah, she could just she just opens the door right there. Okay, so uh Kurigari is waiting for so I like to put on the ring. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the speech again. Sorry, but uh and he is in the Crimson Dawn waiting, and this is where I got my description uh of, of what he is using his own words uh he's yelling at the uh at the undercloaks rather abusively and he says i am the all-encompassing darkness that destroys the light with my every step i am Kurigari. now i must bide my time till she dons the ruby-crested bauble and indentures her soul to me eternally for with a darkling queen as exquisite in form and fire as she is by my side i will sire a bloodline that shall forever commend the crimson dawn well this is the worst straight guy <laughs> he's gross (laughs)
1: he's 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 a very toxic masculinity right there
0: (laughs) i will will make her my queen and father my children through her and we will rule yeah it's uh it's very uh old old shakespearean villain in its way but uh but a creepy guy that you want to punch in the face for sure exactly yes (laughs) uh so tell us what happens within the crimson uh dawn story. This is kind of Archangel trying to save Psylocke's soul which is a fascinating parallel to their relationship in that uh, so much of their story is Psylocke trying to save Warren's soul because he has the the dark influence of Apocalypse in his wings. Right.
1: Yeah it, it was it felt like an opportunity to sort of repay that debt right like and and as someone who had been taken and transformed and turned into a version of themselves that they you know transformed by darkness and and evil and malevolence. Who better than Warren to understand what she was going through? Um, so the desire to give back to her everything she tried to do for him is what motivated, I mean, it was part of the motivation, you know. It's certainly why he was able to, to, to sympathize and empathize with her is because he'd been through that kind of crucible himself yeah. um, and had come out relatively better for it. Um, you know, there there was another side for him. And so to try and get her to that other side was I think really the impetus for, for this whole story.
0: Yeah. And and the story ends with Psylocke getting back in control of herself and killing killing Kurigare, who has already killed Tar at this point. And he's waiting for like, if he marries Psylocke, I don't know if there is any consummation that has to happen, but there's, he mentions like the crimson tide shall roll forth through the dimension, which, Oh, this guy. Like the menstrual <laughs> cycle of it all makes
1: <laughs> not, <laughs> not intentional. <laughs> it's not the subtext of that. <laughs> unfortunate coincidence. Um, I, I mean, I gotta say, for you know, for monstrous villains, these guys are incredibly articulate uh and rather poetic in, in their speech, uh, if somewhat overblown and flowery. It's um,
0: almost it's like a very Disney movie version when you wrap it all up. the 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 villain has the girl's mind and the prince comes to save her and at the end she you know gains her own power back. But he's yeah, he's, I mean, he's, it was never going to be the, the, the far the, kind of villain to me. Yeah, the, it was never going
1: to be the guy saving the girl. It was always going to. I mean, she, Psylocke's hero in her own right. She's come on, can we can we take a minute and think about everything that Betsy Braddock had been through? Goodness, from from in her entire career like I mean from Marvel UK the whole thing with you know um,
0: getting her um, eyes stabbed out by the yeah (laughs) yes
1: exactly I mean and then the whole revenge thing like like she she'd been through it and so this I, I I remember when it was like okay I she's gonna save herself she's gonna do this and she's gonna get through it and and hopefully put all that stuff behind her you know, and 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 kind of get that that fresh beginning, clean slate that she sort of deserved. Because yeah, I mean, you know, that problem was put through a ringer for a while. And
0: we, uh, w- when we did the trial of Warren Worthington on my show, uh, for my long term listeners, we had a section where we discussed his various love interests, and we call Candy Southern the like great love of his life. But mm-hmm. after he turned dark, and Candy was dead uh betsy was the one who understood him and they really if you look at this character they've really been the only two great loves he's had husk certainly does not count (laughs) was she a teenager there's a whole oh uh, go listen to chuck austin if you want he's like he he connects i mean husk is 18 and she's sleeping with her teacher in the sky it's 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 a whole thing (laughs) i missed all that okay whoa (laughs) it's an infamous story uh but I, i got to talk to talk to chuck austin about that one uh, so when this she literally
1: Hus- gets to slop off,
0: her, who she was? And, no, no. Anyway, okay. <laughs> There's some right. wild storylines with Husk, absolutely. Uh, but uh, but they, they go on from here. Psylocke, uh, in in Rick Remender's version of this romance, she's literally staving Warren off from the darkness in his own soul, and he ends up giving in to the darkness and enslaving her. And there's this whole thing where she basically has to kill Warren uh, in order to save him. And he's reset as a character who has no memory of his previous life. So this kind of like back and forth of them saving each other's souls when you read it over a period of years. Are you aware that Betsy has come out as bisexual now? Uh,
1: I, you know, I might be.
0: Um, so she, I, I... her girlfriend is Rachel Summers, the, the Phoenix oh. character. From and
1: isn't, she's Captain Britain now, isn't she?
0: Ray, uh betsy is captain britain and rachel's going by the name ascani and uh teeny mm-hmm. howard is just getting ready to release a new captain britain i think it's called betsy braddock captain britain series where the two cool. of them are together it's cute nice fascinating yeah
1: yeah, we're, yeah I, we're, think, we're, I think i had read that somewhere i haven't read the the stories that when you know when when she when it was revealed that she was talking about it but i not it.
0: It was kind of hinted for a while, and it's kind of there the whole time. If again, if you look between the lines, but yeah, we're we're always happy for more representation within classic figures, obviously. Uh, so Kuragari is chained, and Gomer is the Proctor. Uh, Joe Kelly and German Garcia bring. Uh, there's a Shadow King story in X Men Volume Two Seventy Eight, where he's crippling the world's telepaths and. Uh, The Shadow King kills Psylocke, but she's resurrected in kind of like a dark shadow form by the Crimson Dawn. And then she's able to use this form to go undetected on the Astral Plane, which then allows her to defeat the Shadow King. Uh, So she traps him in her own mind. So as far as I know, that was the last time that the Crimson Dawn has been referenced. There's really no telling if it has any remaining connection to Betsy as a character anymore, because she's been resurrected on Krakoa at this point. Yeah. So it's easy to put that story to bed and say there's no influence. Or if a writer wants to use it again, Kurigari and the dragons remain there, imprisoned, uh, to you know bring into any future storyline. Gomer the (laughs) Ancient also comes up in uh, X Men Unlimited number twelve and thirteen, but it's a Crimson Cosmos story. (laughs) So he turned left instead of right for a little while. (laughs) Again, he he knew where to to exit twenty five was. (laughs) what are your thoughts on this uh reflecting all these years later was it fun to revisit this
1: oh yes yes it's always fun to revisit it's you know it's cringy in in some ways just because you see your your earlier self on the page and you go if i could do it now how i would do things a little differently or things i would do better significantly i mean for me as a writer it's always about improvement it's always about saying okay the thing the thing that motivated me and made me want to tell this story is remains consistent and true and pure. But the you know the execution of it probably could have you know could have taken another couple of cracks at it and 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 I, and I and I you you learn things about developing character and story and narrative that you you weren't aware of at the time um, and maybe you'd approach it differently. I think the thing that you know I would have I would have loved a little bit more clarity. And a little bit more, you know, like I love the world building aspect of it, and I think instead of putting so much energy into writing these flowery, purple, prosy speeches coming out of these characters' mouths, to ground it a little bit more and make it, you know, uh, uh, spend you know a little bit more time on exactly what it was, like giving the audience a clearer picture of what the Crimson Dawn is and that, because then then maybe it then maybe it sustains and, and lives longer. Um, than something that kind of gets tied off and you're like well that was a quirky little piece of 90s you know x-men history i
0: mean i am 44 and i've done writing my whole life if i go back 25 years to what i was writing then i was 19 i have certainly changed and grown with perspective and talent over time i don't know what your age is nor do you have to tell us but 25 years is a significant amount of time to go back and reflect on something
1: yeah no i mean um i it's okay. I'm. I'm not embarrassed by my age. I'm 52 now. And so I wrote that in my, you know, my late 20s. 70s, when, for sure. Yeah. When I was when I was sort of doing my creative, growing up in public, yeah. and uh, again, driven by belief that what I'm doing is right, and this is the right kind of story, and this is exactly how you should tell it. And it's like, ah, no, maybe there's other ways to tell it. But I do, I, I do still have a sweet spot for those stories because the one thing that I feel like I did write as a writer was to approach it from character and where, where we left them in, in uh, the main books and how that, what happened in, in those stories that were written by other writers could be the springboard for a story that comes afterwards. And you know I, I always paid attention to the continuity that way. I always tried to, to honor that so as not to alienate the audience, that is like well wait a minute last time we saw them they went through this and how come they're starting at this point if that happens no no this is building off of the experiences that those two characters had had in their yeah. x-men continuity and it's say, a
0: shared universe absolutely it is it's
1: a shared universe and and it, it's nice to sort of see that that part of it still holds up you
0: know? if i was to sum up the crimson dawn in just like one short paragraph. Uh, Tell me your thoughts on this. There are certain mystics on earth that can tap into various realms to seize power. And one of those realms is the Crimson Dawn, which seems to be a very magic based world. Uh, There is a ruler called the Proctor who has servants called the Undercloaks. There are likely civilians and cultures within this realm if someone ever wanted to explore it. But when mystics draw upon this power, it can either corrupt them or overwhelm them as it gives them additional power. And based on the dragons of the Crimson Dawn, you end up uh, trapped there or imprisoned as the proctor sees fit. So when Tar's in charge, he can throw the bad guys in jail and keep the balance in his realm okay. But when Kuragari in charge, he's looking to expand his influence to do something bad in another place. Uh, if if we put this on the, that go back to that X-Men unresolved plot lines, I think this story was resolved thanks to thanks to you. And I think it's done and I think it's finished. But it's there if people want to use it because it's a it's a, right. a toy box. So there's these villains that could come back if they needed a story. Uh, what are your so thoughts just, on that kind of summary? I, I think that's an,
1: an excellent distillation. And I think uh, characters better hope that they don't end up in a near-death state and someone else is inspired to say, hey, let's go to this place and save their lives because it's gonna start all over again and it's gonna just get more confusing. But I do think that is a, a very good um, a good distillation of, of, of all of these elements that, like I said, at the time we were sort of scrabbling to try and, and, and make it cohesive. Um, I think maybe relying a little bit too much on audiences, uh, perceived understanding of things as opposed to saying hard and fast like because again it, it is you you feel the influence of all these different kinds of magical mystical storytelling tropes thrown into a stew that at the end of the day all kind of make a sense based on our understanding of other things but when taken on its own you know could use a little bit more clarity could a little bit use a little more focus but but
0: at least your takeaway makes it all kind of clear so well if i just take if i just take the three realms we mentioned the crimson Dawn has got whoever the proctor is the crimson mm-hmm. cosmos has sidorak you know kane marco makes the deal with sidorak and now suddenly he turns into the juggernaut and has to give in to his rage or try to contain it the rules of the two dimensions are different but it's a, kind of the same idea of making a deal with an entity. It's the deal with the devil.
1: Like it's save it, my exactly. life
0: and I'll get more power. Or the purple dimensions, the other one I mentioned where I think the overlord is Agamon. It's a Dr. Strange guy and it's mm-hmm. the same type. You can pull on his energy, but then he has control. Uh, and we could list, I mean, God, good Lord, magic in in Limbo. Uh, uh, Nightmare's I mean, realm, right? Like yeah, this, yeah. This, there's so many. There's so many examples of if right. you draw upon the power, then you owe the devil's deal later. And this was okay. one version of that for the X Men yeah. '90s.
1: Yes, they, with a slightly more Asian influence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Ben. I'm a huge fan of your writing. I cannot wait to watch Quantum Leap with my husband. Now that season one is done, we can sit down and binge it. I like to do that with my show Oh, we're not done.
1: No, no, we got more coming. Oh,
0: how oh, how yeah. many episodes have been released so far?
1: Ten episodes have aired. We have eight more. Uh, I believe we return on the 23rd of January, so this will you know probably air after that. But but um. Well, damn we, it! Now uh, I, gotta,
0: I think I'm gonna go watch it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, no. Uh, when we came back from break, um, we, we we ran eight episodes before uh, the holiday season, and then coming back on January 3rd was it? Yeah, third. We um we had episode nine and episode ten, which my my writing partner Derek and I wrote. Um, that those two aired. We're off for a couple of weeks, and then we come back, and then we're going to run straight through. So, and I know you're always half <laughs> our
0: season, four months or ten months ahead with the yeah. and the writing. Uh, but great work, man! I look forward to uh, to seeing it. I'll, I'll send you a note when I do. Okay. Uh, this will come out in early February on the Patreon channel. Is there anything you want to plug besides Quantum Leap? And where could people find you online if they'd like to?
1: Um, I'm I'm, you know, still holding on to Twitter at Wonder Masons. I'm also on Instagram at WonderMasons. Uh, I, I, I I did join Hive, which you know everyone seemed to migrate there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you
1: know it's there. I, I I don't use it as much. I, I, I do find it interesting that that you know when Twitter went to the dark side, we were all like, but everyone's still kind of there because uh, it's just it's the interface is just too simple and easy. Um, so uh, you can find me in those three those three places, all oh. at Wonder Masons.
0: I'm getting a new computer literally today. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Yeah. And it's going to take me about a month before my fingers feel comfortable on the keys. It takes me, like, I'm an old dog, new tricks kind of guy. It takes sure. me a long time to operate something. So, like, I joined Twitter for the podcast and I finally got used to it. And then everyone moved to Hive but I'm like, I don't want to learn another app. Like, I I hate yeah. it. It, it. It just, it messes with my head until I get a routine down
1: yeah, yeah it's, like it's, it's,
0: it's my furniture i hate that feeling
1: right it's close it's close to twitter it's 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 definitely analogous it just not it's just not as seamless and and fluid
0: i started a tiktok just for the podcast as well and i hate it which is why i post there so infrequently i'll i'll get used to it eventually but yeah. I, really, I really i really like my routines uh well yes. hey everybody you can find graymalkin lane graymalkin pp like podcast on twitter graymalkin underscore Lane on instagram On the main show right after this, you will have heard the Tom Brevoort episode, which I referenced a while ago, and our next episode is X-Men 64, uh, featuring uh, the first appearance of Sunfire, and my guest is Mr. Fabian Nicieza, who I am so excited to meet. I'll record uh, that episode. Uh, Ben and I are are meeting in mid-January. I'll record with Fabian tomorrow, Uh, so I'm excited to meet him. Uh, the next Patreon episode uh, is uh, with returning guest Sean McKeever. We're going to talk all about his character, Justin Seifert, from the Sentinel series. And I know this character has a lot of sentimental value for Sean, so I'm excited to uh, talk to him about that. Uh, ben, thank you. I had a, 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 such a great time chatting with you. Thanks for nerding out with me today.
1: Thank you, Chad. I appreciate uh, you having me back, and uh, I was happy to come.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you. We'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane's Patreon channel.